Hello and welcome to the Hindsight Podcast. After another weekend of footballing action, inevitably we start off in the Premier League where it was another intriguing weekend in the top flight as four different clubs made their way to the summit of the Premier League table. But of course, we are joined by Solis Chuku and Inyobong Monday for a Monday review on the Hindsight Podcast. Solis, it's good to have you on the podcast this morning as well as Inyobong Monday. Gentlemen, welcome along to uh, a podcast that has taken a hiatus for about two or three weeks, but we're back, isn't it? Yes, it's a real pleasure to be back on. I've, I've really missed this. Um, obviously, there have been a lot of social, social political issues in the quality that have dictated that we take a break. Um, but now we're back and I'm excited. I have missed talking to you for sure. I can tell you that for free. Nyebong, it's good to have you also on the podcast. How's everything been across your side of Lagos? Yeah, we're, we're fine. Um, staying safe, very importantly, and good to be back on the show because it's it's, it's been a, quite a long time, quite a long time uh, being away, um, but we're just grateful that we're back. We're grateful uh, to be back, especially as Solis mentioned, with all the uh, social political issues across uh, Lagos and Nigeria, and our thoughts are certainly go out to every single. Uh, one of the people who uh, have lost their lives uh, throughout the struggle. Right then, uh, if you're just joining us on the Hindsight Podcast, please uh, do follow us on all podcast platforms at Google, Apple, and on Spotify at the Hindsight Podcast. We're also on Twitter at the Hindsight Pod, which is uh, without the cast. So the Hindsight Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. The podcast is in collaboration with Walexis. Dot com. Gentlemen, let's start off inevitably with the Premier League because it was an interesting weekend, I must say, as we did see four different teams uh, hit the summit at some point in time. I'm going to start off with you, Solis, as far as um, the unpredictability of the table. If you compare that to previous years, it's been probably the most um, you know, erratic Premier League table in quite some time. At least every single team, and I mean every team, has had a bad day at the office. What would you put that down to, Solis? Oh, yeah, it's been the most unpredictable, but also in that way, the most egalitarian Premier League season we've had in recent times. I mean, we said right from time that the um, the nature of the season being so peculiar with COVID and with the lack of a preseason and fatigue, it was going to be a great leveler for many teams. And we've seen that play out throughout the course of the season. Of course, even beyond that, the quality that uh, most teams have is pretty impressive now in the Premier League. There are very few... Um, to complete pushovers. In terms of managerial quality too, there's a lot of that going around in the Premier League. So we've seen that play out and it's giving us a very exciting season, at least in terms of outcomes. In terms of quality, not so much. Like I said, there's a lot of fatigue and players um, picking up injuries and stuff. But it's improving the spectacle and I'm all for it, basically. Uh, so this makes a great point as far as uh, the quality of the players in the Premier League and that's uh, quite evident and just before we came on uh, to the live recording of the podcast we mentioned you know players at Leeds United even though they're struggling at the moment you've got players like Bamford who I dare say could walk into at least um, 16 Premier League teams if not um, 17 and you think about players like Oli Watkins it all makes for a great spectacle but um, do you see this ending anytime soon the you know, the unpredictability of the Premier League, especially in the first few weeks. And do you think it would, it would end any time soon? We'll have a bit more regularity at the top of the table? I certainly do think so. I just feel that at some point later on in the season, the boys will be separated from men. The big guns will start to really show their quality because clearly the golfing class in terms of individual quality will begin to show forth. Because for teams like City, for teams like Liverpool, 
you would have a feeling that the likes of Mane and Salah would put on a, a, a consistent run. And because of the quality in their side, they, they would be up there with, with the very best. So I, I quite appreciate the fact that the Premier League has been quite exciting this season. But at some point, you would expect that Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Tottenham and Everton will put up a good run of form. Uh, it's an interesting point you make. So we, let's start off with Liverpool because uh, you talked about uh, the likes of Sad Sadio Mane and uh, Mo Salah. Uh, so let's, let's start off with uh, that game we saw yesterday because uh, a really pulsating uh, game in terms of how the game started off. But uh, Kevin De Bruyne missed a penalty, which is not something we say quite often. And in the same way, Jimmy Vardy also missed a penalty. I would think those are the two most certain penalty takers in the Premier League. Um, how did you rate that game, Liverpool uh, City? I thought it was a game that started really well. I, unusually, both teams came out with a commitment to try and attack and play more directly than usual. And that contributed to a very topsy-turvy game, especially in the first half. But uh, the fatigue gets everyone at the end of the day. And the second half was quite forgettable after uh, Manchester City's chance. Uh, I think that was through Gabriel Jesus with the header. After that, the game kind of plateaued and it became more a slog with players trying to just get through it and... Um, come out the other side with their lungs and limbs intact. So, But in the first half, it was very engaging. I was quite surprised with Liverpool's approach, which I felt was very bold. I guess that's a measure of um, indecision on the part of club, really, not being able to decide what to do regarding the Ojota versus Firmino, and he elected to play both. But also um, the fact that their midfield resources were severely depleted, so we felt he could go for it. Really, we saw we saw that these two teams, in terms of um, the quality they have, they are still miles ahead of everyone in the Premier League. But they ultimately cancel each other out, and the fatigue told in what was a very poor second half. So, on the whole, enjoyable game, very enjoyable game. A very enjoyable game, I must say. Hey, I'll come to you with uh, Liverpool and uh, that front four which we saw uh, Jurgen Klopp unleash. And Solis makes a great point when he says that you know the two teams approached the game in a very uh, attacking fashion, and which is what we saw in the first half. But the second half didn't quite have the, the same spectacle, and uh, you would put that down to many reasons. And one of the things that the coaches have talked about is the uh, lack of um, ability to change uh, the, the team at halftime in terms of the substitutions, which is what we've seen across uh, the other leagues in European football. We've got five subs in the Premier League, there are three subs. But I want to talk about that front four of Sadio Mane, Firmino, Jota, and Mo Salah, at many times it looked as if Liverpool were playing a 4-2-4. What do you make of that that front four now? And it looks a really lethal front four when they are all fit, doesn't it? Yeah, very lethal. And we're, we're more accustomed to a front three, the Salah, Firmino and, and um, Sadio Mane, clearly. But because with Jota Stormy, it's made it very impossible for the manager to keep him out of the side. So I thought maybe Jurgen Klopp was just gambling a little bit, Did, didn't want to miss the the pressing and the high energy of, of Firmino. That's why he played him and, and Jota. I don't think it quite worked. You think that's something that's going to stay? I don't necessarily think so. I think he was gambling a little bit. I didn't think it quite gelled as the manager expected it. That's why Firmino got taken off quite early. Salah was in a, in a centre-forward position. Firmino was in a, that number 10 role. It didn't quite work out as, as much as he expected. Maybe he just wanted to try out something new, but... Liverpool played really well. They, they, they were solid. They were professional. 
they, they kept possession, there was energy in the midfield, Man City as well. It, it, it was a game that you felt could go either way. And even though Man City missed a, a glorious opportunity with the penalty, but I just thought that it was a game that was played in high spirit and the momentum was good. The, the energy from both sides was good, but it's a game that you felt that City shaded it just a little bit, even though the game ended in the draw. Uh, so, if you think about the defensive partnership uh, at City beginning to uh, form uh, in some sorts, uh, they've got a game in hand uh, which uh, sort of you know doesn't do their their place on the table at the moment justice. But you sense that that defensive partnership of Ruben Dias and uh, Emre Laporte is, is beginning to form. Uh, had a nice, stable defensive uh, performance yesterday. Yeah, I think it's a really good blend in terms of um, attributes. Obviously, Laporte is more of the organizer, more of a covering player, good on the ball, um, one of a left foot and all of that. And we have Ruben Diaz, who is the physical, um, really intense defender of the two. So I think in terms of the blend, it really works. City have, of course, lacked that dependable defensive partnership for um, quite a while now. We know Vincent Company toward the end of his time wasn't always physically up to the task and all of that for all that he was a legend as a Man City player. So this is really good for them. They were able to, like I said, play an open game with Liverpool and not get their their behinds handed to them. And ultimately on the balance of play and on the balance of chances, you'd say they probably deserve um the win more, really. So they were largely untroubled against what was a very interesting blockbuster front four. That, that's a good moment for them going forward, I think. It looks really good for uh, Manchester as far as that defensive partnership goes. I just want to take your, uh, both of your opinions on the five substitutions. It is something that, at least on this side of uh, town, we weren't quite pleased. I mean, we, I think a lot of people bought the arguments that it would favour uh, the bigger teams a lot more than it would favour uh, the, the smaller teams. But we just talked about the quality in the Premier League across board. Is that something that needs to be reviewed now in the Premier League? We've seen Trent uh, go off injured. We've seen you know, a couple of other players, you know, pick up, you know, injuries. Is that now almost paramount to make sure that the five substitution returns to the Premier League? It has to be. It, it, they just have to sit down and have this conversation again because it's, it's quite devastating in terms of the injuries, the muscle injuries, people are pulling hamstrings, groin injuries, left, right and centre. And it's simply because they're playing too many matches. And... For a team who hasn't got depth, it, it is very important that you, you can mix and match, you can change players when you want, at least have that the liberty of five substitution. doesn't make any sense because it is very difficult for these players to be playing three times a week and not really have it take its toll, its toll on them. So I think the Premier League needs to sit and have this conversation again because at some point, some teams will be left to bare bones. Mm. So if... Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think the Premier League has shown in its handling of certain issues this season a startling lack of awareness. Um, we saw with the way they handled the whole pay-per-view model and how they're now talking about scrapping it. I mean, why institute something like that without consulting you know, fan groups and the clubs themselves and stuff? So um, this, it goes the same way for this 5 sub rule. I mean, your, the priority this season was always going to be preserving the health of the players. I mean, this is an unprecedented season in terms of the time frame and everything. So really, their, uh, their focus should have been on making sure the players are healthy and giving them as many visas as they can. 
um, the whole idea of it favoring big clubs over small clubs, that's not something that's been empirically proven. Of course, you can make the case that it is, but you can also make the, op the opposite case either way. So um, the Premier League really has not handled this well, and they have to, it's something they really have to talk about again. And I'm sure if they ha ask one of the, most of the managers in the Premier League, they will tell you they would much rather be able to uh, bring off the influential players and give them um, valuable time to rest than mm. slogging through the season as is. That sounds really good. Well, I think we've spent a lot of time on Liverpool and City. Let's bundle Leicester and Spurs into the same uh, conversation. Uh, after those early losses to West Ham and Aston Villa, Leicester have put on a really good good run in the Premier League. Um, in a, and it looks as if, though, without the key players they're missing in Didi, Soyuncu, Ricardo Pereira, you've got players who have come in and deputized really well. You know, many midfielders looked a really uh, solid player. And you think about... You know, uh, Madison has come back into the team. They look a real balanced side now. They're not the the most exhilarating team as they used to be, but they've got a real balance between the defence and the midfield. Can they push on for that third place or, or top four that eluded them last season, or do you think they have high ambitions? They're a very competitive side. They've always been, and injuries clearly haven't been fair to them. And with the players you've mentioned, not clearly are quality players. But they've, they've managed to be able to stem the tide. And, and you, you look at the, the, the players who have come in and done a good job. You talked about Nempalis Mendy, Justin James, solid right back. And it's quite amazing the kind of job um, um, Brandon Rogers is doing there. Because with the, with the kind of players who are out, you'll be thinking Leicester will be struggling. But they've got a result against they got a result against Arsenal away from home. They got a, a result against Leeds United away from home, and now they've got a result against a very solid Wolves side. So credit to Brendan Rodgers, credit to Leicester City. About finishing in the top three, I would I would have I would have put my entire savings on Leicester finishing in the top three last season, but it didn't happen. So I think it's a conversation that is too early. But I think Leicester are doing very well. They are very solid. They are competitive. Every time you see them play. They look like a team who would really give you a fight. So credit to them. Solis, do you, do you think it's... Uh, what would be the difference between this season and the last one? Because they pretty much started this season the, the way they started the last one. And gathering points very early on. It was the last, the last lap of the race last year where they, they, they fell off in many ways. And, we, I mean, what would be the difference this year? I, I don't I don't know. Like like Kimi said, it's something that we'll probably have to hold off judgment on for a little bit. But I think they've started really well. One thing we're seeing from Ben and Rogers that wasn't so obvious last season is his ability to take certain absences in his stride and come up with an alternative plan. I mean, last season they held on for a little too long to their preferred system, even though they were losing certain important players within it. But this time we've seen him adapt to, for example, losing a player like Wilfred Ndidi. We all know how influential he is for Leicester but we saw Rogers change the system and sort of use two players to compensate for his absence um, and get the team competitive and compact again so uh, yeah we're getting a more um, what's the word now a more sensible Brendan Rogers in a way more pragmatic more willing to um, so to, his strengths, yeah. yes, and, and use the resources he does have. So I think that will help them. I still think they will be undone by their relative lack of depth. I mean, we've talked about how peculiar this season is and how much of a slog physically is going to be for certain teams. I still think they lack crucial depth in certain areas, and that will come back to bite them in the mm -hmm. end. But so far, they've shown an impressive ability to make do what they have and adapt. So fair play to them.
is Wilfred's uh, place under any threats, uh, given the performances of, you know, Castagna, who of course came in from uh, the Italian Serie and uh, Mendy, who is now performing well? Absolutely not. I think I think Wilfred indeed is very much an entrenched member of the first eleven, and I think he will come straight back in when he's fit. Like I said, they've done a good job compensating for his absence, but um, a player like Nampali's Mendy realistically is not on the same level, even though. He's done really well in a more protected um, system with three mm. central defenders at the back behind him. So I think Wilfred will definitely come back into the team once he's fit. No problem. I'm going to stay with, I'm going to stay with you on uh, Tottenham Hotspur, so, uh, who have gone unbeaten for seven games since losing the opening game against Everton. And the last three games in the Premier League have been really hard fought. You know, Burnley, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, and of course the, the last game against West Brom. And it, it's a new way to, to win. You know, obviously, they started the season like a, a really good front three attacking unit. Son was scoring lots of goals. Harry Kane getting lots of assists and goals as well. But it's the one nails down that are cutting in for Jose Mourinho and compensating away from home for the, the points they lost at home to teams like Newcastle and uh, West Ham. Well, yeah, um, of course, it's during the course of a season, you are going to have to win games many different ways. We've seen that. Um, Tottenham can win by being rampant and running teams over, but also they do not have that tough underbelly needed to scrape out wins in games where they are not playing that well or games where physically they are not at 100%. And we saw that against West Brom, who, quite much to my surprise, were very competitive in that game and could have gotten something out of it. But somehow Tottenham found, Tottenham found a way at the end of the day. And that, that's really a good sign for Jose Mourinho in terms of what he's trying to build there. Uh, I, I think I think Tottenham have really what it takes to go the distance in Premier League this season. They have mm. depth um, in key positions. They have good backups, and their midfield really. You look at their options. They have Tang in Dombele. They have Giovanni Lo Celso, who didn't even start against um, West Brom and came off the bench to good effect. So they they have a really deep squad, and crucially, they are getting the kind of wins that suggest that you know late in the season they will still be very much a factor in the title race. Mm. Uh, sounds really good for Tottenham. I'm just going to take your thoughts on Gary Bill uh, in, in a few words. What have you made of his um, return to sports? I think he's getting back to shape. Um, I still don't think he's fully fit. I still don't think he's, he's, he's up to races at the moment because I'm not seeing him on, on those dashing runs and those mazy runs he makes. He's still taking his time, but I think he's getting him back to shape. He's, he's playing well. He's getting on the ball. He's He's making things happen, more or less. But we'll see a Garrett Bell in his full glory in another one or two months. I, I still feel that if he gets up to speed and he gets fit, maybe we could see Tottenham challenging for the title because I think he's a, he's a terrific player. He's an influential player. And when, when, when he's on his money, he's unstoppable. So Garrett Bell, maybe one or two months. Let, let's just give him a couple of months and, and just see what happens with him. And just hope he doesn't get injured. Solis, would you agree? Is Gary Bill the difference between Tottenham challenging for the title or just being a, a top four contender? Uh, I, I, no, the thing is with Gary Bill is we all know how good he is. We all know what he can contribute. But no one is really quite sure what level he's at at the moment. And um, if there's one thing we can say for him, it's that Jose Mourinho will definitely give him the chances and find a way to incorporate him into the attack. Um, in order to bring the best out of him again. If he can find that level, then yes, absolutely. He can, he can push Tottenham up a, level, up a couple of levels. Definitely. 
certainly. Right then, let's uh, move away from uh, the Premier League. But before we do that, let's talk about Leeds United, uh, who uh, you are an avid follower of. And so, let's in, in a few words, uh, Leeds are, are, are not winning as many games as a lot of us expected, but it's the manner in which they're losing by the huge scorelines they're losing by. And obviously, everybody quite agrees. I think I, don't, I haven't found one person who doesn't agree that um, the refereeing decisions were, were very unfair to them last week. But they've got to stop leaking the amount of goals they're leaking because it's a, it's a fine margin between, you know, uh, that relegation battle. Um, I think a lot of the expectation around Leeds centered on the personality of Marcelo Bielsa. But if you looked at the caliber of squad they had and you consider the fact they were newly promoted, I think... Um, these results have come as a reality check to most people who really should understand that at this point, Leeds' priority is staying up in the Premier League. They've, they've had a couple of um, recent bad results, but you consider the state of the game in, in a lot of those things and how games can turn on little moments. I mean, we saw, like you rightly alluded to, Bamford's goal being disallowed against Crystal Palace, and then right away they went up the other end and made it 2 0 from a free kick. So, a lot of these things are not quite as cut and dried. Obviously, they'll need to tighten up, tighten up at the back, but I still think Leeds will handily keep their place in the Premier League, which is the aim ultimately, and then subsequently push on um, for the next season. So. Right, right. Uh, let's uh, talk about the Arsenal before we leave this conversation, because uh, how do you go from defeating Manchester United with a very uh, solid tactical performance in it? and lose the next game to Aston Villa, who are a good side, we must say that. But it's a game we expect Arsenal build on from the previous result. They looked really flat. What do you make of that? I do not think the, the result flattered Aston Villa a bit. I thought Aston Villa were brilliant. They the set up in a way that they didn't allow Arsenal any kind of room. And they started the game very well. And, and in the Premier League, you can't be in the dressing room after the first 10, 15 minutes in, in, in a Premier League fixture. You're going to get found out. And, and Arsenal found it very difficult to get going yesterday. Aston Villa, they got a goal disallowed quite early on. I, by the letter of the Roy, it was the right decision. But I do not think that if the player was not in the eye line of um, Leno, he gets to the, on the end of that ball because it was a brilliant strike by, by, by John McGinn. Brilliant strike. And they started the game well. And from there, it was a foundation. Even though the goal was disallowed, Arsenal were not on their paces at all. They were lethargic. They were ponderous in possession. They were giving balls away in very, in very difficult areas. And then to make matters worse, Thomas Partey left the, the, the first half injured. And, and in the final third, Arsenal are just as predictable as, as a, lot of teams in, a, a lot of teams in the championship or even League One. Because when you've got the might of Aubameyang, we've got people like Lacazette, you've got people like William, you've got to be frightening your opponents. And there was no point in that game where Ezrikon and Tyrone Mings looked like they were stretched at all. So they're not asking enough questions in the final third. I was looking at some stats. Arsenal, the, um, about goals, um, attempts and shots on target and, and threatening of the opponent, Arsenal are way down the table. Because they're not just having enough shots at goal. They're not creating enough. So it's a big problem. Against teams who defend in a low block, Arsenal are always going to have problems. I said this on my, on my show on, on Saturday on radio, that I would not be surprised if Aston Villa got something out of that game and true to it, it came to pass. 
So, uh, you've been, I've been watching your timeline, and of course, uh, you're, you're not being best pleased by William's performances. But at the start of the season, it looked a really shrewd signing uh, to get William in um, for a free transfer and, and, and everything that was around Arsenal. But what would you put that lack of creativity down to in the team? They look really flat when the ball crosses um, uh, the, the midfield. What would you put that down to? Um, first of all, to address William, I, I did not at any point think that it was a shoot signing. And I said, I said as much as the time, it didn't really make any sense to me. William was coming in just on the cusp of his 32nd birthday and he was being handed a three-year contract at Arsenal. It, the red flags were everywhere. But not to pick on William, really, because this is a problem that is a lot bigger than he is. I think everything is lays at the door of the manager. Mikel Arteta has come in with, he has some grand designs in terms of how the team should attack and how the team should play. But um, it's, you need players to execute these plans you have. And Arsenal is sorely lacking any sort of creativity from the players. The one creative player who has a pedigree in terms of creating chances, and not just that, but in helping the team flow better in attack, has been ostracized from the squad. So this, 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 is, this has been wholly predictable. It has been coming. Mikel Arteta's um, style of play is really about, you know, predetermined moves and... A lot of Arsenal fans were excited about the fact that Arsenal were playing out from the back and overloading on the right and decompressing on the um, on the left and scoring goals through Aubameyang. But once team figured that out, there was nothing else really to stretch opposing defences. I mean, if Arsenal have the ball in the final third, how many options at any point in time do they have to play forward? Very few. So you consider all of these and um, like Ateta himself said yesterday, when you are unable to create chances, you just open yourselves up. And the more desperate Arsenal gets in games, the more open they are at the back. Football is a very holistic game. If you attack well, you defend well. If you defend well, you attack well, so long as the structure is correct. And Ateta has not been able to find that balance yet at all. And Arsenal are playing for it big time. What do you think of finishing the Premier League this season? That, that, is, that is difficult to say. Um, I, I do not see Arsenal finishing in the top four at all. That, that's, that, let's get that out of the way at all. I'm completely. <laughs> um, um, I, think, I think they'll finish around about where they finished last season, which was eight, personally. That's what I think. You think they can win the Europa League? Um, it, it's a cup competition. I mean, he's, he's, won, he's, he's won those big games very tactically. And that's just it's a cup, just it's that, a cup yeah. competition, so anything is possible. I mean, that's just the way cup competitions are. But you, there's a lot of strength in the Europa League. And, then, and you, you look at the Champions League and teams that could possibly drop into the mix as well. And I'd have to say it's not looking very good for us at the moment, to be honest. When you speak about teams dropping from the Champions League, I should just think you just go ahead and say Sevilla uh, dropping <laughs> <in> from, <laughs> from the Champions League. Right then, uh, let's get away from uh, the Premier League. We've spent uh, uh, close to 25 minutes talking about them and head on to uh, some Italian football. And it's only right we start off with a Nigerian footballer who scored the only goal uh, for Napoli against Bologna. And of course, Victor Simen uh, beginning to find his his feet uh, at at Napoli. Obviously started uh, not with the most flying, the most flying fashion, but he's got a goal now. And it's goals like this that he was brought in to score. The only goal of the game, carrying the team. Uh, got a red card, I think, last time. But it's a good way to respond uh, from uh, being sent off by the referee in a couple of games ago. Ini. Yeah, what was good to see him. I saw the game, man. I thought he took his chance very, very well. And, and the good thing about Simeone, 
he isn't just the guy who scores goals. He's a guy who, 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 who runs channels. He's going to be very difficult to, for, for defenders to mark. It makes life very difficult for them as well. And it was great to see him get on the score sheet. Obviously, that's why they paid all that money for him to come and do. And to see him get the all-important goal was really, really good. And Gattuso is always speaking about him. He needs to improve. He, he will get better. And, and clearly, still a young lad playing in a new country, a new language, a new culture altogether. He's getting used to, to, to Italian football gradually, but great to see him on the score sheet. And we can only wish, for, wish the very best for him. Mm. So, like seven games into uh, his Napoli career, uh, one red card, uh, a couple of goals in the mix. Um, he's got a call up to Nigeria to, of course, uh, uh, prosecute the Serie Leone game. What, what have you made of his first uh, two months at, at, at Napoli? I think his first couple of months at Napoli have gone exactly how I expected and predicted he would go. Napoli play a very particular style and they have a number of attacking players who are very direct and who uh, focus a lot on their own um, attacking output. And that has affected uh, Victor Osimhen in a way and changed the way he plays. I mean, he's coming from a team in Lille that was all about servicing him and putting him through on goal. But now he has a team where he's the one that has to make space for other people. And um, that has affected his goal output. But his, his game, he's a very um, intelligent player who's open to learn. And I think we could get him more completely there. I wish he would get more service. I wish he would score more. But um, that's just a situation in which he finds himself. And if he continues making the right runs, um, eventually, he will get his, his fair share of goals in Syria. Mm. An interesting uh, take on uh, Victor Simon. Uh, Juventus and against Lazio finished up 1-1. Not quite the impressive results uh, they had against uh, Fiorentina last time out. But uh, Perlo's, um I would I like to call it an experiment with Juventus. How's that, how's that coming for you, Soles? Um, I mean, Juventus, I think they're pretty satisfied with the titles they've won. And they're more or less accepting that this would be a, a huge transitional season, no? Oh no, I, I don't. I don't think that's ever in, in the Juventus mindset in terms of writing of a season. Um, I, I did see the game against Lazio. It was very, very interesting game to watch. Very end to end, lots of chances, high quality game between the two sides. Um, even though Lazio were missing Chiré Mobile, the um, talismanic striker, it was a very interesting game. Uh, you could see clearly that Juventus are coming to grips with you know a new system under Andrea Pirlo, and they're not quite firing on all cylinders as yet. They still have some glaring deficiencies, but still they have that defensive solidity at the back, even though, of course, they give up a very late equalizer here. But they are still, I think, I think they have the best defense in Syria so far, or the second best, something like that. So they are still on track. If, if Pierlo can figure out and get his players to play the system that he has in mind in attack, I think they, they, they still have that fear factor in Italy that will shoot them up the table. And um, of course, part of getting the attack to cliff right will be Gattuso finding a way to incorporate Paulo Dybala from the start um, in most games. So far this season, he's kind of flitted in and out of the side, but um, the sooner Pelo can get him on the same wavelength with everybody else and firing, the better for Juventus, I think. I was just going to ask you, I think you touched on it, but I was just going to ask you, what, what do you think uh, Pelo's philosophy is? I mean, you think about Jürgen Klopp, you, you talk about the heavy metal pressing uh, even though that has changed nowadays, you think about Pep Guardiola's heavy possession base and quick movements and interchanging of play. Uh, what would you say is Pelo's uh, philosophy? Um, I, it's not. It's not really as 
you know, clearly defined as some of these other people. But um, Juventus traditionally have not been big on playing a certain way. They've really just been about results. But Pelo has come in. Um, he's ditched the whole Sarri model of playing zonal defence and stuff and slow possession and trying to price things open. And he's gotten inside to be a little more dynamic going forward and a bit more competitive and combative against opponents, marking, you know, 1v1 in midfield and stuff. So, um, it's not exactly cutting edge, but it's a little different from what Juventus have been doing. And um, that's something the players are having to get to grips with quickly. Mm. Uh, just let's wrap up on uh, the Syria with AC Milan and I mean you cannot talk about AC Milan these days without mentioning uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic I think he's 39 or something like that I keep losing track of his age but such an incredible graceful player uh, even though they couldn't quite um, defeat Hellas Verona do you think they can win the title this year Milan? I, I, think, I think they can challenge I don't think they can win the title and um... I mean, if they win the title, I won't be surprised because with, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, they've got a leader, they've got someone who, with his experience, with, with his quality, he, he quite looks the part at the moment because I saw their game, they, they went 2-0 down and, and they, they rallied back. They missed, he missed the penalty and then still found a way to, to get an equalizer in the dying embers of that game. But they, they, they look like a solid side. My problem with Milan... Is a bit of inconsistency. You would have thought that they would blow Hellas Verona apart because they won some very difficult games this season. But to see them drop points against Hellas Verona it can just be a sum up of what AC Milan are all about. They can win games that you do not expect them to win, but lose drop points in games you expect them to, to win very comfortably. And that might just be their undoing, not being able to see off games and really manage games that you'd expect them to win. Right then, I think we're uh, done with our, our wrap of uh, the, the top leagues. Let's talk about Nigeria's uh, double header against the Syria Leone uh, team. And I mean, you think it's two games Nigeria should win easily uh, on the strength of what we saw against Algeria and Tunisia. I think we should be a bit more uh, cautious in our expectations. But give me your thoughts. What do you think? Benin for the game. Simon is back in the team. A few more established players uh, are back in the team. What do you? How do you see it going? So um, yeah, I think one of the one of the hallmarks of you know Ross' time in charge of the Nigerian national team is that clearly he's able to get the Super Eagles to win games they're supposed to win. Uh, so this is the sort of game that realistically Nigeria should expect to win. And um, like you said, we have a lot of the more regular players back in the side. We go Simon up front and Ogenekaro Ezebo in midfield. So that should definitely help. Uh, we We'll definitely be looking out for a more fluid pair of performances than we got last month in those friendlies, which were utterly forgettable. Hopefully, we won't be seeing um, Shemi Ajayi used in midfield anymore, which um, left us very, very clunky and slow in terms of our midfield play. So, um, Roy, is, Roy is under pressure now. Not so much pressure in terms of losing his job, but um, fans are expecting a lot better from him in terms of the team's style of play and he has not really been able to deliver that. And the last couple of games really deflated fans because Nigerians waited um, a very long time to see their national team again, only to be served up some very um, miserable performances in 
friendly. So that's a pressure he has to deal with now. He has to convince fans once again that he's on the right track and those friendlies were just blips, basically. Interesting. Uh, you are a player, you're, 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 you're one who has been talking about a player, uh, Tyrone Bui, who has been getting back to what we think is his best self at SC20. And um, I mean, he's an interesting player because he's one of the positions we need in the, the Super Eagles team. I think we unearthed a, oh, I think we unearthed a player in, in Zaidu Senussi at left back. But we need that right back to, to, be, to be functioning. And Tyrone looks like he's beginning to, you know, own his place at club level. Can he translate that to the national team? Yeah, Tyrone has always been a very um, interesting player since he made his debut back in 2018. Real um, consummate professional, very good on the ball, very good going forward and defending. He's just had a very tough um, last two years, coming out of the back of the World Cup, um, injuring his ACL and missing so much football. It's really great to see him getting back to his feet in Dutch football alone at FC20. Um, when he's fit and when he's firing and when he's at his best, he's... Um, comfortably the best right back Nigeria has in my my opinion and long may his recovery continue my personal opinion yes having him um, give us a more solid option on the right to complement Zaidu Sanusi on the left who um, caught the eye in those friendlies last month uh, Inia, I was just going to ask you about the uh, Sierra Leone uh, game uh, Solis mentioned the, the two forgettable friendlies we played but he also mentioned that it's games like this that get a raw is the hallmark of his time in Nigeria. You know, winning the games, you would expect us to win and, you know, get us the points we need to get. I don't think there's any doubts we'll qualify for the, the Nations Cup, um, you know, next year. But what kind of performance are you expecting? I don't think the Sierra Leone game should be a problem, quite honestly. And clearly, the quality of the Super Eagles side, not as impressive in terms of the way we play football, but clearly we've got individuals who, who should be able to to have enough in them to, to be know over two legs. Like Susole said, very frustrating seeing those two games against Tunisia. The Tunisian game better than the Algerian game, by the way. But it was it was quite difficult to be able to sit down and understand why um, an avalanche of quality players. I mean, when you say quality, it's quite relative, but these are players who are blazing their boots for big clubs in, in Europe, couldn't put out a very nice performance. And I was telling some of the other time that it was just so frustrating. I, was, I sat down and I put a, a stopwatch on my phone and I was trying to see if Nigeria could pass the ball around for a minute and 30 seconds and I couldn't find it for an entire 90 minutes. So it's, it is very frustrating and very depressing. So, but against Sierra Leone, you think that because of the, the, the strength of quality, uh, you should think that we should do well against, uh, against Sierra Leone. And having said that, having said that, Ross done so well in the qualifiers, he's got a brilliant record in the qualifiers, so you'd expect him to win comfortably. All right, then. Uh, looking forward to uh, that game against uh, Sierra Leone, and of course, Nigerians are, are keeping their fingers crossed. We've won two games in Group L. Uh, we've got Benin Republic at the second position, uh, Lesotho in third, and Sierra Leone, who are bottom boys, uh, with fourth. So, uh, given those stats, I think things should go pretty well. Gentlemen, I've totally enjoyed having you both. But before we finish that, uh, any, any thoughts on Real Madrid this weekend? What happened there? Solis, Ini? <laughs> Valencia. I, I don't know where, where Valencia got that performance out from, but I thought Real Madrid were desperately poor. Um, the entire back for Ramos and Varane and Vasquez and, and Marcelo 
were not up to speed at all. And I thought Valencia were, were ready for the game. They were the competitive, they were fighting for second balls. They just had it more than Real Madrid. They wanted it more than Real Madrid did, but the uncharacteristic errors by, by the Real Madrid defenders was just too evident to see. And it might cost them the title because you're looking at a team like Atletico Madrid who have played seven games and considered only two. And you look at Sociedad have played, um, I think, eight or nine games and considered four. And looking at the numbers Real Madrid are racking up in terms of goals considered, it's not just good enough. You cannot be considering four goals against Valencia. It's, it just doesn't happen like that. Mm. Atletico Madrid are, uh, of course, third on the table. And Solis, just before we wrap up now, uh, do, you, do you think there could be a, a different win of the La Liga this season? Atletico, of course, we expect Sociedad. Um, I mean, I say, of course, like, you know, it's for sure, but... We expect them to maybe fall off at some point in time. But Real Madrid are not doing well. Four points off. Of course, they have a game in hand. How do you see the, the running into December going? Um, not only do I think there could be a new, a different um, champion in La Liga this season, I think um, a club like Atletico Madrid actually owes us a proper title challenge this time around. I mean, um, Barcelona and Real Madrid are in all kinds of bother at the moment and their teams just do not look um, cohesive, uh, coherent, um, their plays, you know, cluttered and poor and all of that. So, um, Atletico Madrid have been really impressive. It seems finally now that Diego Simeone is willing to go the other way in terms of getting his team to attack properly yeah. and, yeah, and actually score goals. And part of that is handing the keys of the team over to João Felix. And we've seen him looking like the player that they shelled out um, an almost sinful amount of money to buy from Benfica. So um, if, if this form holds, I think we can definitely expect to have a properly exciting title race in Spain. And I, for one, am sick of Barcelona and Real Madrid every year. So Atletico Madrid, come on, bring all you've got. We also say that with David Silva and all the young guys. And Emmanuel Aguas still with his exciting side of play, bring all of that to, to the table. And let's um, have a proper race in Spain. Incredible. Absolutely uh, incredible. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining us on a Monday. A look at that. We've done 14 minutes and the plan was to do uh, 15 minutes. It's just a great, great appetite for the game. So, this has been a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate it every time you find time to sit with us uh, on a Monday or on a Wednesday. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on. Yeah. Fantastic. Ini, it's also good to have you as well. Uh, I, I see you more often, but a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It was a pleasure as well. Fantastic. All right, then, uh, please uh, do uh, be a part of the podcast on our platforms. Uh, we're on Google, Apple, and of course, on Spotify uh, at the Hindsight Podcast. Kindly subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and of course, on Twitter and Instagram, the Hindsight Pod. It's a collaboration with Wolexis.com. We'll see you uh, next episode. We'll talk about the uh, local league in Nigeria, which is uh, almost up and running. And I'm sure the guys are excited about that, <laughs> even though I don't think they are uh, actually. Uh, my name is Yubi Nduonovic. We'll see you soon. <laughs>